Welcome back to the Bulletproof Fantasy Football Podcast. Here today, we have none other than Edwin, the injury doc, FB injury doc on Twitter, possibly the best injury doc on Twitter. I It's it's unconfirmed, but it's probable, I would say. <laughs> I Certainly not questionable, that. probable. I appreciate that, man. I appreciate <laughs> that. It means a lot. I appreciate you having me on, getting to talk a little bit of process, a little bit of dynasty. I'm excited. I think you have one of the most, uh, the funniest names on Twitter, I, I, DFB counter, right? Is that what is it? DFB count, bean counter. Bean Moral counter, story, yeah. bean counter has always it's 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 such a funny term to me, it's such a funny phrase. So every time I see your name come up on my timeline, I smile just a little bit because it's a funny phrase. But I'm excited, it's, man. It's, it's I'm an accountant. You knew that, right? Yes, I think I knew that. I somehow, some way, or across the Twitter spheres, I knew that. <laughs> you're dressed like an accountant. I can I can tell. I'm dressed like a scrub. So yeah, yeah. No, the last sharp, couple man. episodes, I've I've been on vacation. I've been working. So I got I had like the Hawaiian shirt. I had the the like vacation hat on. I was just getting obliterated in the YouTube comments of <laughs> how bad I looked. Everyone wanted the suit back. I'm back to work. So now the suit's back. So you set an expectation, man. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah, other places you can find Edwin. He's got a podcast. It is the Injury Prone Fantasy Football Podcast. He is a part of FantasyPoints.com, one of my personal favorite websites. So uh, check him out on that. But let's let's dive into something that has been a hot topic in the Patreon the last few weeks. Sony Michelle. So like your whole thing is injuries, right? Sony Michelle's whole thing is he's he's been injured, but he's been playing, which is interesting. What's the deal with Sony Michelle's? He he's ever gonna recover and be what he once was? Is he basically toast at this point? What are you doing with Sony Michelle? Yeah, I think the thing with Sony Michelle, I think if if I remember correctly, I honestly to be one hundred percent transparent, haven't looked into this myself, but I think his efficiency was a little better last year. Um, yards per carry is a very non-sticky, not great stat. Um, but if you do look at his yards per carry, um, as I am right now, I just lost it. I had it, um, yards per attempt. Yeah, it was, a, it was 5.7 last year. So, I mean, I know, like, like I said, it's not the best stat in the world, but if you look at it from a relative perspective, he went from 4.5 and then 3.7 jumped back up to 5.7. So, I mean, his efficiency improved to a certain degree. Uh, that are, there are a lot of factors that go into that, obviously, but it's not so much that Sony Michelle himself is injury prone. It's the fact that he's had so many procedures to his foot and to his knee. Uh, he was on COVID list last year. He's had all of these specific performance cappers, these ceiling cappers, uh, for example, inside the knee joint surgeries he's had an acl surgery he had fluid drained from the knee at one point i think he had a scope at another point so he's had all these so, these ceiling cappers that d directly zap juice and burst so it's really unfortunate it's not so much that he's going to be injured or that he's going to be injury prone or you know he could he could suffer at some point some inflammation in the knee because he's had so many uh so many issues with that knee already uh, the risk with sony michelle is that he falls off a cliff in a very similar manner that todd Gurley did like we could see him vanish at any point because of the inside the knee issues that he's had. He's heading into his 26, 27 year old season. You know, that's not great, obviously. So all of these factors that are playing against Sony Michelle, I know the offense, you know, being into the, to the, to the offense, new offense doesn't impact running backs quite as much, but I mean, that is something I saw a blurb that he was still learning the offense. Um, I misspoke. He's actually heading into his 26 year old season. So Sony Michelle, I think at this point from an, a performance perspective and from an injury perspective, he is what he is. Like we, he's shown us who he's going to be. He played 13 games as a rookie, 16 games in 2019, uh, without COVID, he probably would have ended up playing, um, a handful more than nine. So he would have played probably about uh, 11, 12 games. 
he, like I said, has had these performance sapping injuries and he is at a risk to fall off a cliff at any point. But the Rams didn't care because the Rams hate draft picks. And so the Rams went to go get him. Uh, at this point, you can probably, um, you know, you could see him st- taking at least some of the value away from from uh, Daryl Henderson. So I don't know. I kind of want to get your thoughts on that. I mean, this is this is completely out of my wheelhouse. Uh, I'm buying him because he has been a good player in the past. He has pedigree. The Rams traded for him when they didn't have to. It's not like he was a free agent. They were just like, yeah, we'll just sign you because we need someone. They're like, no, we can see what's on the free agent market. And they're like, yeah, we'll, we'll ship off some drop picks. I get that it was the Rams. They don't like drop picks, but it's still something like they, they, they could have just signed a free agent if they really felt like they needed one. They didn't. They went and traded for Sony Michelle. And then if you look at last year's like advanced metrics, like beyond yards per carry, Sony Michelle is pretty good at that too. Last year, he was pretty bad in 2019 and he was really, really good as a rookie, which and makes you wonder college, what happened. In he was also really good. Yeah. Yeah. It makes you wonder what happened in 2019. And if that's more of a blip on the radar than it is, uh, than it is, you know, the norm. So I, I think he's good. Like he's a good running back. Right. Um, I think that he's somebody that can contribute if you need like an RB two, if you went zero RB, whatever hero RB, uh, I think that he's someone that can contribute, but he does come with a little bit of an asterisk that he's had so, so many inside the knee issues, foot issues that he's at risk to, like I said, just fall off the cliff. That's not to say that we're predicting that, but as long as you know, you're taking on that risk with Sony Michelle and it's commensurate with what you're willing in terms of draft capital to use on him and, and fab to use on him, then I'm totally fine with you. Yeah, definitely rostering Sony Michelle. Yeah, it, it really comes down to cost. Like I'm not going to, you know, sell the farm to go and get Sony Michelle, but it like he was going for like fourth round picks basically in dynasty prior to the trade. And I think if you acted quick right after the trade, you probably could have got him for a third here and there. And I'd have been into that because I don't think Daryl Henderson is anything more than a guy. And if Sony Michelle is also a guy, and I think he might be a little bit more than a guy, then it's like, well, I'll just take the guy going six rounds later. You know? Yeah, so. I totally get that. No, I totally get that. But yeah, that's, so, that's the deal on Sony Michelle. I'm not like super concerned about him. I'm also not super thrilled. I think he's one of those unsexy picks that can get something done for you. Totally. So did the Rams just not like uh, care about knee injuries like they they went with Todd Gurley when they knew he had a tour ACL and they I I think there was a lot of rumor that he he was going to have future knee problems at that point didn't they you know the thing with Todd Gurley is this this probably was brewing it probably didn't come out of left field but he spent his entire career with the Rams before he got you know before he he left the Rams obviously so it was probably something that was brewing who knows if if in medicals what it looked like it's something like 20 or 25 percent of college prospects come in have radiographic evidence of osteoarthritis and in, in, in a joint any given joint it's common um it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to predict arthritis Gurley was just one of the unfortunate ones who got early onset arthritis and it, and it impacted his performance it was something he couldn't dig himself out of a hole from uh, but yeah i don't know the rams i, I would assume they did their due diligence I don't know. I don't even remember what they ended up spending on Sony Michelle specifically, but I did think it was ironic that the one running back they went to go that they went after is at the same amount of risk for the Todd Gurley syndrome to happen to. Like I thought that was rather. I guess they're just risk it for the biscuit. I don't know, but it was it was a little ironic to me. Yeah, right. It's like. It was like such a predictable Rams move. It's like, yeah, they traded drop picks. Of course, they traded drop picks. That's what they do. Yeah, they got a running back with a bad knee because, of course, they got a running back with a bad knee. That's what they do. The Rams are just like, I'm such a conundrum. Like, I find myself wondering, is Sean McVay actually sharp? Like, are the Rams sharp? Sometimes you're like, yeah, the Rams are sharp. Then other times you're like, 
what are you doing? Like I, I'm in a constant conundrum of like wondering if they make good decisions. Sometimes they just don't. I think that like every front office and coaching staff has like these, these hot streaks where they just like, you know, flipped heads three times in a row. And we were like, Oh my God, look at what they did. Like they're, they're geniuses. Right. It was just dumb luck. Like, <laughs> it could be like the next week they're like three tails in a row and you're like, Whoa, like what's going on? <laughs> right, right, right. That's yeah. the rounds right now. Like, Honestly, the Kyle Shanahan thing with him being like this this god tier coach that nobody is Kyle Shanahan. He's the greatest we've ever seen, right? And then you look at like his offenses over his career, and it's like, well, he's actually ran a lot of really bad offenses over his career. Right. It's right. not like he's always had a top tier offense like Andy Reid. Like right, exactly. It's 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 bizarre how he is coined this. He's a little bit of a of a of a legacy, a little bit of yeah. a legacy guy. He did yeah. he's he's good enough to keep a job on top of his dad being who his dad is. So, you know, it's, you know, nepotism is alive and well in the NFL. We see that every day. <laughs> For sure. Okay, so let's get into a little bit of, of Edwin process. So you have, uh, if I recall correctly, been ranting and raving on the Twitter sphere about how injury prone is not a thing. So what is injury prone and why isn't it a thing? And what what is a thing? Like, how do you, like, if injury prone isn't a thing, how, do, how does injury analysis help us? Yeah, good question. So that phrase is specifically for the random Twitter egg or, you know, the guy with 18 followers and a dog for an Abby and following, you know, 500, what are you, that person, that person is always screaming and everybody's mentions how this person's an injury prone player. That guy's injury prone. This guy's injury prone. Oh, he was injury prone. He's been injury prone since 2012. You'll see if you go through their history, because I've actually unfortunately done this, they'll say, oh, this person had a concussion. They're injury prone. And then they'll turn around a month later after that player has something totally unrelated, like a groin strain, and they'll say, see, I told you that person's injury prone. And that's really, when I say injury prone is a lie, that's the type of attitude and mentality that I'm referring to. What it comes down to is as fantasy players, fantasy managers, as the sports med community, we are not as good at predicting injuries as we like to think. If there was an injury prediction algorithm or machine, there would be some doc or PT or PhD guy, lady out there making a ton of money. But ACLs, for example, are one of the most notorious injuries that we have. We know that there's some data and evidence to say, if you do X, Y, and Z, which is totally irrelevant to this podcast, but if you do X, Y, and Z with your, your athletes, you prepare them in this way, strengthen here, work on motor control there, you're going to decrease their chance of injury. But it's actually only a very small amount. Like Those same players who go through that program, they still tear ACLs too. Why? Because humans aren't robots and machines. We don't know. There are so many contextual factors that go into injury. So what I try to do is bring in the context that matters. Look at, try to, try to put, apply context to injuries that are unrelated. For example, something like I said, a groin strain, a concussion, an ankle sprain, something like what Keenan Allen had when he had, and he tore his ACL, uh, ruptured his spleen and then tore and then broke his collarbone. Those are totally unrelated issues that were likely very unlikely to occur again. And then we've seen Keenan Allen be healthy up until last year. Right. So it hasn't, it's one of those things that as, as fantasy managers, we need to take the proper context and apply risk specifically, which is what I try to do with my tiers every year. Um, and what, what Ethan Turner, for example, another physical therapist tries to do with his injury score for, with prospects coming out. This is all relative. Yes, certain players are at risk for more injury than others, but no, that doesn't mean that it's completely predictable. And if you can identify the players who are at objective risk, a higher objective risk than their peers, then that is an advantage in Dynasty. And that is the advantage that the top 5% of players are constantly looking for. 
I have blue check marks in my DMs like all the time. And they might never say, they might never say it. They might never tell anybody. They're constantly asking me injury questions, right? Weekly. What does this guy look like? Hey, can I pick your brain here? Hey, can I pick your brain there? Honestly, I should start charging these dudes. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> my, the moral story, big picture is that injuries are relative. Injury histories matter and not everybody's injury prone. Gotcha. So I have a question for you. I heard this on a podcast. I don't know. It must have been two, three, four years ago. And it stuck with me and it was, it was talking about, um, I think it was like insurance and like car insurance. Like if somebody gets in a car accident, they're way more likely to get into another car accident. And it may be, it may, it may not have even been their fault. Mm-hmm. And they were likening it to injuries. It was like, well, you know, those drivers are maybe just a little bit too aggressive or they, they're not paying quite enough attention. So that will show up again and again. And that's why the injury or the, uh, injury, the insurance rates go up on people that get in a car accident mm. and they're relating it to football injuries. And they're like, well, that player doesn't quite protect his body in the same manner as maybe another player might. Does, uh, does that factor in at all? Or is that not a thing? I wouldn't say that's accurate. I think you can okay. maybe take that into account a, a little bit, but it's so, it's so not quantifiable. Like it's so random. There's so much entropy in the game. I mean, a good way to think about it is like film grinders who are all, they can all watch one play from the same player on the same day on the same drive. And they'll all tell you 10 different reasons why that player is good or sucks, right? <laughs> like it's very subjective. The same thing goes with these, with the, the quote unquote style of play argument. Um, I mean, yeah, if a dude, if a quarterback's running straight into a 300 pound linebacker, you know, a, a D end, a 300 pound D tackle. Yeah. That's ob- objectively a bad decision, but that's called bad decision making. That's not called, you know, style of play. Like, these players, for example, running backs, they, they, you can cluster them into the types of injuries that they have. Running backs most often injure hamstrings, shoulders, and um, ankles, right? So those are the three types of injuries. And then you look at quarterbacks. By a disproportionate amount, quarterbacks injure their shoulders. Why? Because they get sacked in the pocket. They get AC, AC joint separations. Uh, they try to scramble, land on their, the tip of their shoulder. Uh, receivers, hamstrings are really common in con- concussions in, ham- in uh, receivers and tight ends because they're constantly laying out over the middle. They get concussions more frequently in some cases than running backs. So it, it all depends and it's all it all depends on positional demands and physical demands in addition to their history. Like wh- what I'm trying to say is I don't want to sound douchey. I don't know if I can cuss on this podcast. I don't want to yeah. sound like a jerk, like a jerk and be and and make myself, you know, self-aggrandizing saying like, oh, it's so much more complicated. Let me explain it to you. But it really is a lot more complicated <laughs> than we're making it. It's sort of like and the last thing I'll say, because you got me on a rant now. Damn it. Damn it, Drew. You got me on a rant. So the last thing that I'll say, it's not going to be the last thing I'm going to say. Let's be honest. Two point. This isn't a study done from 2010 to 2014. I'm going to you might have already seen the statistic I'm about to say. Do you know in that span of time, do you remember, do you recall what percentage of games were considered injury free? And that definition is, is by definition is no injuries were reported to the athletic trainer or to the, to, to, to the team doc. I have four, no idea. Four years of data zero. is 2.3%. <laughs> once you bump that, that number, once you adjust for the dudes who reduced their own finger back in, who put their own shoulder back in, who saw stars and didn't say anything, that number is probably zero. Once you adjust, right? Yeah. Everybody gets injured. So to scream that this person, X person, Y person is injury prone, you're a, you cast a wide enough net. Eventually you're going to be right. So it's not, for example, it's not groundbreaking to say, oh, you should avoid Saquon Barkley because he's going to get a hamstring strain. Like 
without that that ACL, he might have gotten a hamstring strain anyway. You have no idea. Like you're just casting a wide enough net and throwing a stone, and you're probably gonna like be right more times than not. I follow injury analysts who will help sharpen my process and will, for example, challenge me on, well, I actually don't think that this is gonna be a problem because of this, this, and this. And that is, you want to look for the injury analysts who are not alarmists and you want to look for the injury analysts who will give you context and nuance and help you understand what your risk really is and walk away with a true understanding of what this quantitative risk is, understanding that there's randomness and this is never going to be a hundred percent. That's funny. I, I feel like you're like preaching to the choir a little bit from like the data side where people are like, well, he wasn't good because of this one thing, you know, this one data point, or he was good because of this one data. I'm like, that, like maybe. But we have no way to say that's the data point that made him not good at football. Like, there's no way that we can say that definitively is the exactly. reason. Right. Exactly. And it, I feel like that's exactly what you're saying. It's like, well, yeah, I mean, guys that, you know, whatever, get this injury. And it's like, well, I mean, sometimes, sure. Like, right. guys get that <laughs> yeah, injury. Exactly. So, exactly. Exactly. Well, you, yeah. And that's, that's one way to look at it, too, is, okay, let's say that I told you Tyreek Hill is going to have a hamstring strain this year. Tyreek Hill has a history of, of dealing with hamstring tightness at least, right? And then he goes out and gets a hamstring strain. Maybe it was on the complete opposite leg than it was in the first place, right? And I'm and I'm telling you how right I was and telling you that I was correct when in reality, we know the faster wide receivers are, the more likely they are to have a hamstring strain. The faster a human is, the more likely they are to have it. It's actually a really interesting phenomenon. But mm -hmm. wide receivers are very, very likely to get hamstring strains compared to their peers. Um, the faster they are, the more likely that is to happen. And when you're starting and stopping and decelerating all the time, like, yeah, you're probably going to get a hamstring strain at some point. So yeah, man, it, it just depends on, on the context you're applying and how like there are a lot of injury. And I don't want to say a lot. There are a handful of injury analysts that I feel like are very, um, they're alarmists and in a lot of ways are very self-righteous and like, and I told you so type of way that I'm not very keen on. I try not to victory lap when players are injured in the first place. Um, and that's, that's really what I want to stay away from. I want to give you context. I want to give you nuance. And I don't want to just say, yeah, this player is going to get injured. Like if I think a player is going to get injured or, or is suffering from some sort of injury uh, or, you know, their history is relevant. I'm going to, I'm going to try to explain that to you. But the moral story is that not everybody's injury prone. And it's actually very, very rare that I would consider any player, you know, quote unquote injury prone. Like I can think of maybe two off the top of my head. And other than that, you know, everybody else, it's all on a scale. Who are they? You're never going to get that out of my brain. I'm never going to say it. <laughs> Next question. Next question. <laughs> I'm just here. You thought you were going to thought you were gonna catch me slipping. Nope. Next question. <laughs> All right. So when we're playing Dynasty, we are often looking for buying opportunities, right? We want discounted players. Injuries is one of the best uh, discounts we can find. What are the injuries that you would actually buy low on? If somebody has an injury, they get discounted. Which ones are you buying? Which, which injuries, not players? Yes. Like, Good question. For? So again, context and nuance, right? MCL sprains in the third week of a player coming back from it, knowing there's a Schefter report that says they'll be back in four to six weeks, knowing that it's week four or five, knowing that the, because the, the, the time to hit isn't the week before they're going to play, right? The time to, the time to try to try to send an offer is the week or two before they're going to actually play. So I would say week four or five is, is the week, you know, the, the sweet spot for somebody like Nick Chubb in 2020, where you send that offer where the, where the owner's getting frustrated, they're getting impatient, um, they might think to themselves, is this guy ever going to come back? 
your patient, you know, you send them a low ball offer. They accept it. I did that in a couple of weeks on Nick Chubb last year. It worked out beautifully for me. MCL sprains tend to do really well. It's kind of an, an interesting phenomenon. Clinically, what I've observed with my patients who are not, <laughs> a lot of times are not athletes. I'll put it that way. Um, their, their MCL sprains can last a long time. Like they take a long time to recover from these issues, but these athletes tend to do really well after them. So that's the first one. The other one would be, and this is also another one, applied proper context. After three weeks of an AC joint sprain is when I would go after a player. For example, in 2019, James, this is a, an anti-example. In 2019, James Conner came back. I think it was in the third week after an AC separation. I was not going to go after James Conner. I want them to be, if it's a grade two, and we know it's pretty much a, c confirmed a grade two, something like what Christian McCaffrey suffered, something like what, what uh, Justin Jefferson suffered recently. I want to know that they have at least three weeks under their belt of recovery for whatever reason, that tends to be the clinical sweet spot for these NFL players. And then if they're going to be out week four, I'm sending a trade off for week four. So those two injuries are the types that I uh, specifically go after. All right. Good to know. That's uh, that's going to be a bit of a cheat code. What about for like dynasty? Like a guy misses a season with an injury, which injuries yeah. do you think are, are worth buying in a, in a dynasty context where you're like, ah, I'll get that guy next year because he's going to be great next year and he's free now. I Honestly, what I've observed too, and I'm going to be 100% transparent. It's only been within like the year and a half, two years that I've gone in more into dynasty. And what I've observed dynasty players, uh, is they tend to be a lot more sharp than your, you know, typical redraft league. They tend to be on top of these things. So it's actually kind of difficult to find it in because they know they're all, they're all already playing the long game. When you're in redraft, everybody is in win now mode. Everybody is in win this week mode, right? So when you get when you're in a group of players, your selection bias is already everybody's going to wait on it anyway. Um, I think that the one injury that comes to mind that that specifically players will generally consensus shy away from is the Achilles injury, which rightfully so. Um, I'm leaning more so uh, with Cam Akers. I'm I'm gonna try to acquire Cam Akers now at his floor. I'm going to assume his ceiling is 80 to 85% of what we thought it could have been at max before the injury. And I think I'll probably take that. Like I would, I'd be happy with that. Another injury that I think people hyperventilate about a little bit specifically for the star players is an ACL. Even if it's people here, it wasn't just an eight, like the famous line is like, it wasn't just an ACL. It was an ACL. And, and we know that the literature shows that the MCL and the LCL, the collateral ligaments don't really impact recovery one way or the other. So it's not really that big of a deal. And as long as the meniscus isn't, you know, tore up the way it wasn't for Saquon Barkley, then they tend to recover. Okay. As well. So ACLs are probably the, the second one that I would say, uh, players discount way too often, way too frequently. Well, now this brings up two new questions. So here's my first question. I was going to sneak it in later, but we're going to do it now. It's on the show sheet. Yeah. So this is, you're going like completely freestyle uh, off script here. Yeah. Let's do it. <laughs> There's been three 22-year-old bulletproof running backs out for the season, Cam Akers, J.K. Dobbins, and Travis Etienne. Which one is worth buying? You already mentioned Akers, but is he the one to go after? Or should we... Now, you just mentioned the... Uh, it's not just an ACL. And that's the J.K. <laughs> Dobbins thing. He didn't just have an ACL. And I was freaking out because I saw somebody on Twitter saying it might be a two-year injury. And I was like, like, what happened to his knee? Did it fall? Did his leg fall off? What did happen? Because to, to be one hundred percent honest, once they're once they're off, um, sort of once they're off the radar and redraft. Once we get into redraft year, uh, redraft time, I sort of just lose track of what these guys, and then I pick back up again in January, February. Um, gotcha. Did you see what his specific injury was? For example, no, nobody. Can, I've never seen it. I've just seen people say it's more than an ACL. 
And then I saw somebody tweet that it's probably a two-year injury. And I have no idea who it was or if they're reputable or if they're an alarmist, as you said. And I was like, I don't know what to do with this frigging guy in Dynasty now. Like, I bumped him way down the rankings. So, like, if it's a two-year injury, like, we're talking about he's going back at 24. You mean, like, will he ever be the same? I I don't really. Tore his ACL in the left knee. Uh, Typically, they'll report that as soon as it comes out. I think what people, let's see here, an MRI confirmed Sunday the stud running backs suffered a torn ACL. NFL's Tom Pulitzer reported Dobbins is looking at 12 months recovery to be ready for the 2022 season, but will miss 2021. Uh, the running back did not suffer any MCL or PCL damage. So it's oh. likely that he had a very similar injury to what Barkley had. So that's probably so we what we're buy looking him. at. Yeah, there's no reason to not. To, I guess, yeah, that's the answer. I didn't know people were hyperventilating about the J.K. Dobbins injury. Um, oh, yeah. No, we were he, all hyperventilating. He might have had a pretty good meniscus tear, but he's going to have a full calendar year to recover. Like, he's probably going to be ready to roll more so than Barkley is this year. So, yeah, I guess that's the answer. I guess we we lucked into the answer. Like, NFL organizations right. luck into good decisions sometimes. Sounds great. Perfect. And now I've forgotten the second question that was a result of our past <laughs> the, the, the past comments so we'll come back to it i guess if i can remember yeah. <laughs> so which uh which injuries are you just like staying away from, or sorry you said achilles is your the one you're staying away from right aside from cam makers if a context yeah context is important i'm trying to summarize this quickly because there's so much context to it the achilles specifically it's important to look at the data yes it's important to look at the return to sport data and understand that the population that the data reflects is not cam acres yes that's very important to understand but the the science and the medical science behind it is also just as important even though it doesn't reflect the population that acres is in it it's a reflection of the fact that the tendon is not a ligament that sounds very obvious but it's true ligaments connect bones tendons connect muscle to bone that's a very important uh detail to keep in mind because what the tendon does is we're gonna get really nerdy here the tendon translates force from the muscle through the joint to create force and power the way that it does that is with very specific collagen fibers that are organized tightly packed nice and neat when you rupture those regardless if you get surgical repairs or if you manage them conservatively with rehab they are never the same they get fatty infiltrates the collagens are disrupted you get a very very less efficient power translation through the muscle to the tendon through the joint that is why people and players lose their ability to cut they lose their burst you're never the same after an achilles injury all of that being said if this was going to happen to anybody we wanted it to happen to somebody that was in his specific position to test it out like this is going to be a legitimate case study what is he going to look like when he comes back and you also have to look at it from a longevity standpoint uh i don't i don't know if i'm saying his name correctly michael lashorn or michael lashorn who tore his ac his his achilles i mean um he was one of the most uh relevant fantasy running backs he came back never reached his ceiling and then it's important to remember he burned out the second year after the achilles he burned out so that is something to monitor is the longevity with with acres coming off like he i don't want to make it seem like he's a screaming value because there is pretty tangible and objective risk that comes with him Gotcha. Gotcha. So uh, I have a question. And again, this is not on the show sheet, but you're just like bringing it to my mind with all your comments. When people are doing these like return to play studies, like how do they control for the quality of the player? Because I I just like (laughs) exactly what you're saying is I'm like, well, yes, Cam Akers isn't compared to any of these guys. Then I'm like, well, can we just go to the medicine and say player or people generally recover 85% uh, like right what you call it. 
So this there's a specific study that looked at power rating, right? And what they did is essentially looked at their NFL uh, statistics. Uh, they they took their touchdowns, their yards, their reception, their receptions, everything. I don't know if they took into. I need to go back and look at that power formula. I don't know if they looked at snaps played. They did look at games played and incorporated that. Uh, and and they came out with this nice little formula that they went back and did an analysis on, and they found that it was statistically valid. And so that's what they used. So basically, they used offensive production and compared it to previous offensive production, and that's what they used. It's not See, perfect. It's not perfect, but there's also it's really difficult to do a study like that because the population would dry up really quickly if we did a matched study doing that. And it's retrospective too, so that that makes it that makes it even more difficult. Yeah, the problem I have with that, I think, is that. Most players, unless they're really good, have really bad production the next year. Like, it, like, like this is right. kind of the, the yeah. thing we were talking about earlier. Where it's like, well, that's the reason. It's like, no, that guy probably just sucked. That that might be there, the reason. No, yeah, and that's, that's, that's the injury and that's, can help. But. That's that's the other thing about the population is that the population was the 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 people who tore their ACL in that study. Their average age was twenty eight. So we know that the average age of, of players who are going to retire is pretty close to 28 at that point. So that's mm-hmm. another confounding factor. But that's why I think it's important to, again, consider the medical science. Like what would be the yeah. plausible the plausible mechanism behind what the data is showing? And the plausible mechanism is that dudes can't cut and have a no burst after that. And, and it could be both, right? And they're 28 years old. They're going to fizzle out of the league soon anyway, right? So it could just be the cherry on top. It can be that independently. So it's hard to say, right? But I do think that to, to some extent, we it, they're such large scale studies. I think there are about 11 since 2009 that they've done. The data is pretty clear, like regardless of what, what the population is, at the very least, we cannot confidently say players can return from an Achilles tear. And we know that clinically because because PTs like me and, and PTs who work with these athletes one-on-one every day, they'll tell you that clinically too. Like, yeah guy was never the same after that so so that matters right and that type of context matters so what i'm saying is it's not safe to assume that that because the data is flawed and because the the method is flawed that the the conclusion is incorrect like we we aren't allowed the data doesn't allow us to say oh that's an incorrect conclusion if that makes sense no for sure i like i i agree i'm not i'm not arguing the the premise that nakili's injuries are bad i'm just like 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 I said, the, the, that player may have just washed out regardless. He may, 100%. if he never tore his ACL or his Achilles, he probably would have washed out anyway because he wasn't a good player. Right. And no, we know the players that. peak at like, I don't know, the bad players peak at like their second year. And mm-hmm. then in their third, if they don't, if they're not good after the second year, usually the third year, they're like toast. Yeah, and exactly. It's like, well, a lot of those guys in all these studies that I keep seeing are like guys that I probably would have said are probably on the way down anyway. So mm-hmm. the fact mm-hmm. that they lost production. The following year, it just makes sense. And then it's like, well, was it the injury or was it just they're not good? And I think (laughs) when you fall back on like the like the like, you know, we have information on these injuries across the entire world. And it's not just NFL players that tear the Achilles. So we fall back on that. We're like, yeah, well, the general person loses or never regains 75% or they only regain 75% of their abilities. It's like, well, yeah, okay. You know, probably the NFL players (laughs) might gain more than that, but probably not 100%. Exactly. hundred percent. Yeah. I think that's completely fair. Okay. So which rookies are you following all over yourself? The draft and dynasty this year, which like, who's your favorite rookie? Oh man. For I'm just so chalk. Like I I don't really have any, I know this was a, this was a pretty decent class, obviously not, not 2020, but um, I really like Terrace Marshall. I've liked him a lot more recently. Um, And then obviously I'm also going to go chalk with Elijah Moore. 
I've been sending offers for Elijah Moore before week one for like like a week now. I've just been sending, just throwing trade offers across, you know, across all my leagues. So those are the two dudes that I'm looking at. Little, I know it's a little chalky, but man, I, I love the chalk sometimes. Nah, I mean, a lot of folks didn't like Terrace Marshall that much. And I think uh, that was a mistake. And a lot of folks said that, you know, Elijah Moore is a slot receiver and he's never going to be anything more than that. And, <laughs> and uh, I think he's maybe going to be more than that. We don't know. And I, I'm excited for Elijah Moore. We'll see, uh, dude. I will take I will take the Elijah Moore prototype at a slot as a slot receiver any day. If you told me, are you? I know, no, this isn't the perfect example, right? But this is sort of like my thought process from a very high level. If you told me Antonio Brown, or I mean Antonio Brown, um, if you told me Julio Jones was only ever going to play the slot again, I'd probably still draft it, uh, Julio Jones, yeah. if he was only going to play in the slot. So bet on bet on players, not situation or presumptions. Totally. All right. So who like who, when we're looking at the rookie class, I presume that you do some injury analysis around the rookie class. Who's the rookie that nobody thinks or nobody's like equating injury risk with that they should be? I kind of wonder how much of a risk the general population and dynasty communities uh, understand they're taking on with Trey Sermon. Sermon is a guy who had a really high. Are you laughing? Why are you laughing? Do they not? I don't know. Do you? Oh, no, you're, you're absolutely. Nobody seems to care. Okay. It's so it's, it's absurd. Okay. And so it's, it's again, again, it's not so much that you're going to predict injuries. It's not that we're predicting injuries, but I mean, Trey Sermon has had, uh, he had in high school as a senior, a lumbar fracture, and that's a bone injury, obviously falls into the general category of connective tissue. Then he also had a, an LCL rupture. Those are super uncommon injuries. He completely ruptured the lateral collateral, collateral ligament in his knee. And then he had the nasty, gruesome posterior uh, sternoclavicular joint dislocation um, that we presume that's what it was uh, in the national championship. That's it's the same injury that Tyreek Hill had in 2019, I believe it was. Those don't necessarily recur on their own to standalones, and they don't, and they aren't necessarily a big issue standalone but when you zoom out and you consider that they're all connective tissue injuries and that he just hasn't been able to stay on the field without an injury in, in quite some time you do start looking at the data and then you apply the context that well players that miss fewer than three or four games uh, in college are the ones who tend to stay healthy in the NFL and vice versa, which is why Will Fuller is such a conundrum. Will Fuller didn't miss a game in the last two years at Notre Dame. Um, but you look at college availability and it correlates as the best that we can to NFL availability. And yeah, Sermon Sermon pops. Sermon's got a little bit of a high uh, injury risk. And it's not that he can't stay healthy because we've seen a lot of younger players prove that they can stay healthy. I'd mentioned Keenan Allen earlier. Uh, but it, it's something that they should at least be dynasty players should at least be aware of that. He's not a slam dunk ready to pick. It's actually really eerie that Trey Sermon and Raheem Mostert. I sort of picture them as like the Spider-Man gif, the two Spider-Mans looking at each other because totally. Mostert is just like from an injury perspective, strictly speaking from an injury perspective, Mostert is like the, the mirror image, like the older brother of Trey Sermon. Like they have can only connective tissue injuries. They can't stay on the field. They, um, are they both obviously play the same position like they have all these similarities from a, a sort of functional injury perspective that it's kind of weird that the <laughs> Niners drafted sermon so um yeah I guess he's a guy that that most people should not necessarily assume is just risk-free no it's funny I feel like Trey Sermon like people are just completely blind to Trey Sermon because he got drafted by Cal Shannon and it's like well right he's he's injured a lot that's a problem he never broke out in college because he was injured a lot. 
Right, and right. Even when he did play, he wasn't really that good until the, that like two week stretch in his final year when he was how old is he? Twenty. He was a regular senior, I guess. Normal twenty two year old yeah. senior. Mm-hmm. And then people are like, "Ah, Javante Williams isn't that good because he he runs a four six or whatever." And it's like, <laughs> Trey Sermon runs a four six. Are people saying that? Some people are like, he doesn't uh, have a high ceiling. I guess is what they're saying. Mm, yeah. And uh, it's just like, like the, Trey Sermon is red flag after red flag after red flag, but got drafted by Kyle Shanahan. So like, yeah, first round pick. He's a first round pick. Drafted in the first round. It's like this is crazy. Yeah, absolutely I, I, crazy. I like Trey Sermon from like this year. Like I was actually thinking about actually thinking about this when I was going over the script. I like Trey Sermon this year because this year is your full hope. Maybe he can buck the injury trend and maybe he is productive in that backfield because we know the 49ers, you know, love to hand the ball off to anybody who will breathe back there. So maybe he can, you know, squeak out a year and you got an RB2 in the whatever it was, like the sixth round or the fifth, fifth or sixth round or whatever. Like maybe that's what happens this year. But if he comes in, he's average, doesn't have a true breakout, suffers a high ankle sprain, then an AC joint separation. I'm probably going to be out next year if that happens on Trey Sermon. Totally. Yeah, it, like there's just a lot of paths that Trey Sermon can disappoint, and I feel like people aren't really being aware of them. <laughs> right. Okay, so I need to ask you because there's one player that I have been uh, like absolutely going to the mats for. Uh, my dude, Joe Burrow, not on the script, totally off. off the, <laughs> I have off seen the you. I've seen you be excited about Joe Burrow. <laughs> he, he's he's going to be fine, right? he's going to be fine middle of the season. He'll be fine. The thing about burrow is, is this was a catastrophic injury for burrow. Um, he had, you told me if it's more than an ACL, (laughs) let me finish. Let me finish. Let me finish. (laughs) It was catastrophic for this reason. It was ACL. It was likely capsular and it was meniscus. Those three combinations, the two major ligaments, ACL, PCL, on top of it was probably a bigger meniscus issue than um, than than Barkley had. Maybe not, right? Because he's back at nine months. Maybe not. But it was a. It sounded like it was a pretty severe injury, right? And so for a quarterback, it's very different because he doesn't have to stop and turn on a dime the way a running back does. So he can he can come back and play and be okay. And we also know there are massive uh, studies epidemiological studies done on ACL tears and went from a financial perspective and a functional perspective and a performance perspective. Quarterbacks are, are, aren't affected by ACL injuries very often. The thing that we were worried about with Burrow was the timeline because nine months is cutting it really, really close. Like for example, Carson Wentz in, when he tore his ACL the following year, he, he came back and played, um, but he missed the first two, I believe, two weeks of the season. He came back around nine months and 11 days. So, th- you know, the timeline was a little tight, but it looks like he's going to make it. Give him a few weeks to get his sea legs under him. The hope is that he- they do, a, you know, a lot of quick quick slants, uh, three-step drops, dump-offs to hopefully Joe Mixon. And on top of that, I didn't know this. I, I did a pod- podcast with Rich Rebar last night. He said that the Bengals last year before his injury, they they had they ran the most plays from an empty set than any other team in the NFL, which was a really intriguing thing to find out considering how bad their offensive line is to not have somebody back there blocking for him. So I I'm wondering, and I'm curious if that number is going to dip this year or if they're going to have an extra back, so somebody to protect him back there, if they're going to do a lot more under the center, or, uh, you know, even like shotgun formation as opposed to empty. So what I'm saying here is the ceiling on burrow in the first three or four weeks should, you should temper your expectations. You, he might not hit ceiling the first few weeks, but yeah, going down into the, you know, 
the middle of the season quarter, the last quarter of the season, you should probably see a, a fully healthy and, and ready to roll Joe Burrow. So what you're saying is Joe Burrow league winner. Yes, that's what I need. Mean. Just, just, yep. just a paraphrase. Put it in quotes. I want this. To, I want that to be the quote. <laughs> Joe Burrow league winner in week the, one. The show. Uh, Edwin <laughs> says Joe Burrow league winner. Exactly. exactly. Paraphrase. Paraphrase. Exactly. Okay. So another of my favorites. He is uh, been getting questioned in camp from a knee-biting head coach. DeAndre yes. Swift. Are, are yes. we in trouble with DeAndre Swift with this groin thing? Is DeAndre Swift injury-prone? Like, I've been hearing he's been nicked up all through college. Never missed games, but he's been nicked up. Are we Are we worried about DeAndre Swift in he, either seasonal or, re, or uh, dynasty? I wouldn't say worried. I would say, and again, another conversation I have. Rich Rebar is so, like, sharp. He just brings out the best in me. Like, I think we settled on the fact that if you got DeAndre Swift in the third or fourth, I think that that was fine. Like, I think given the entire circumstances, it's okay to not have a hot take, right? Like, it's okay for an ADP to not be egregious or for an ADP to be, that's ridiculous, right? Like, it's okay for an ADP to just be, yeah, probably about where it should be. Um, for whatever reason, he was going third, the third or fourth. I He doesn't come risk-free. In 2018, he had groin surgery. Uh, in 2020, he was on the injury report with a hip, quote unquote, hip injury that was likely a groin injury. Oftentimes we see those intertwined um, teams will either say hip because it's a whole region or they'll actually put groin on there. And then in 2021, <clears throat> obviously he was on the injury report today, but he practiced in full. It's not so much that you're concerned about him today. It's you're wondering why these have become chronic and if it's going to pop up again. So that's your first concern. The second concern is the fact that he had a concussion with severe symptoms last year. He ended up missing three games because of the concussion. Um, I think it was two, two or three. Uh, and he had severe symptoms. Once you have one concussion, you're almost at a double risk to uh, two times the risk to get a second concussion, especially within the first calendar year. So that's your, that's the other thing. And if he had severe symptoms the first time, there's a chance, clinically speaking, there's a decent chance he'll have, or he could have severe symptoms the second time. So then you look, you look at those two things. On top of all that, the coaching staff is aware of this. They signed Jamal Williams, who's a good little back in his own right, right? He's decent. He does things just well enough to stay on the field. Um, and so and so you wonder, did they? is this an intentional signing? Did they say Swift saw too many touches last year? He was injured. He's banged up. Now it's, now it's 2021. He's dealing with his groin issue again. He had the concussion. We're going to mitigate his touches. We're going to maybe take away some something at the goal line from him. We're going to take away, you know, things that are that are not between the 20s it, it just makes you wonder and i and i feel like a lot of times uh, on fantasy twitter we create these narratives and sort of reach for these these long reaching narratives that we're really just using them to make ourselves feel better but when it comes to swift i think they're actual objective tangible flags whatever color you want to make them yellow red whatever that that make you go hmm i don't know if i would in any other world, I don't know if I would spend a first round pick on this specific guy, um, but that's where I'm at with DeAndre Swift. I think his ADP was, nah, it's fine, right? I, I think it's fine, but I'm not not concerned if that makes sense. So let me put it to you this way. If Christian McCaffrey had this injury history, would we be panicking? I don't know about we, but I think if this was Christian McCaffrey last year and we were in the same position, I would likely be saying Alvin Kamara and then consider Christian McCaffrey or even See, consider you, Dalvin Cook. It is, it is a concern just specifically these injuries, Swift. You're telling me that I need to burn the boats, trade DeAndre Swift. <laughs> I'm not telling you that. No, no, no. I'm not telling you that. I'm telling you, like, he could very, like, we can look back in a year and be like, oh, okay, 
he's fine. But right now, as it sits right now, like his specific history doesn't allow us to do that yet. Next okay. year, if he gets over it, then he's over it. And I think he'll be over it and it'll be fine. But this year, you're sort of hoping that he does get over it. But I, I per, for me, he's on my list of like prove it guys so far. And I, I want him to prove it to me in 2021. All right. So I have a question for you. Yes. That's why I'm here. When touche. <laughs> when did DeAndre Swift have his, his concussion? And is there a possibility that we could get through the calendar year with this injury, injured groin? Maybe he sits out like four, five, six weeks, and then comes back after the calendar year, and then we have a <laughs> like smooth sailing <laughs> with the concussion problem. Uh, these issues with just a couple weeks on the injury report, or like on the sideline. It's it's um it, it's it's probably not so cut and dry uh like that yeah, you probably probably not black and white um but yeah it was uh, that was a very fair question that was funny but he <laughs> what week was that so he had the hip I don't week know. one it was pretty uh, early it was it was a week eleven he got the concussion oh week I thought it was 12, early week, no and then he had an and the illness remember the illness that was his post concussion syndrome I thought that was the concussion yeah yeah it was, was no it was early in the season that was like week four or something i thought no it was week 11 12 and 13 what that's absurd Mm -hmm. he had the hip in week one i'm looking at it right now see it yeah maybe you make a point i can't even remember which injury is which with all the injuries this guy's right exactly exactly he's on a he's on the prove it list right he's on prove it list he hasn't proved it quite yet all right all right okay so can i is there a database somewhere that i can tap into that tells me the average time of like days missed per injury and then also what to expect when the players come back from like a reduced production standpoint like yeah, you know you go player to... has a i don't know high ankle sprain expect reduced you know 80% production for the next 6 weeks when they return is there anything yes, like that out there everybody right now type this in your your phone your laptop whatever www.twitter.com slash fb injury doc and you go there you click the follow button and that's where you're going to find my databases okay i have a few databases i'm working on i have one of them right now for example high ankle sprains um that is that gives you that exact thing that you're looking for and as it relates i didn't know you were going to ask me this question so i'm actually going to filibuster for myself until i can pull this up but i do have the return to sport stuff for high ankle sprains specifically for skill players that are coming back from a high ankle sprain in the nfl it's from 2016 and it goes all the way through 2021 and what we found with these high ankle sprains can i call you drew Drew, I, I see your, your email said Andrew. Okay. How do you say your last name? Ozenchuk. Ozenchuk. Are you Canadian? Of course. Okay. Yeah, I, I could tell. So what we found from these high ankle sprains, now that I have it pulled up, from 2016 to 2020, what we saw, first of all, is, is every single time you see, an, it, it, here's how to spot a bad injury analyst. Schefter hasn't tweeted, this is going to be a four to six week high ankle sprain. And an injury analyst will tweet, this is a high ankle sprain. This will be between four and six weeks recovery. That's how you spot a bad injury analyst. Here's why. There's a 2013 study done, an official NFL study, where they looked at all 32 NFL teams, and the average return to play time for these high ankle strains was actually 15 days. So I said, hmm, I'm going to fact check that. I looked at 2016 through 2020 and looked at the amount of uh, weeks missed because of a high ankle sprain. What we found is that the mean of time missed, lo and behold, 1.8 weeks, two weeks. The median, 
two weeks. The mode was actually three weeks. The standard deviation was 1.5, right? So basically two. So what that means for, you know, in plain English, but I'm sure your listeners are used to these statistical, you know, slaps in the faces is th they miss anywhere from zero to four weeks, right? So then you break it down from an, on a case by case basis. Uh, from 2016 to 2020, skill players missed 14% of skill players missed zero weeks, 22% missed one week, 12% missed two weeks, 27% missed three weeks, and a combined 13, 21, um, tw a combined 26% missed four weeks or more. So what you're looking at is, like I said, it's b basically between two and four weeks. That's when these players come back. But on top of that, what you also have to consider is that when these players come back from a high ankle sprain, there is approximately, I wish I could find it, um, there's approximately an 18% dip in fantasy points per game for these guys. And that's totally legit because then you go back to that study that I was, that I was telling you about in the first place. Um, all 32 team docs in the NFL stated that even though players do come back at two weeks, it actually does take that four to six week mark for players to come back and be themselves. Sometimes they never come back and are themselves. And I mean, Michael Thomas is a perfect example. Last you know, earlier, we talked about what injuries am I targeting to take advantage of in season. This is the opposite of that. High ankle sprains are not an injury I'm looking to target unless it's, you know, five weeks removed, six, even six weeks removed. Um, they're not on the injury report anymore with a high ankle sprain. They don't seem to be performing. Maybe I'll throw a line out there, but I, this is not a, a an injury that I am actively targeting in terms of a, of a high ankle sprains. Like they're just not, they're, they're ugly injuries and they can end up in a Michael Thomas type situation um, more frequently than we want to see. Did you know that uh, Christian Kirk is a bulletproof prospect? And then, and then he was on his way to breaking out and he got a high ankle sprain and ruined his entire career. That must have been what it is. Yeah. Yeah. That? I think that's right. I think that that sounds right. You should publish that. That sounds like a case study. It, I mean, it, it's certainly not one of those things where we can't tie any other thing to the explanation yeah. for why right, he right, has right. Uh, failed out of the league. Prove that it's not true. Yeah. Prove that it's not true. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, I'm I listening. Go. I couldn't. I can't. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So a uh, couple more questions real quick. Denzel Mims, bad salmon. Is that the reason that he sucks? Yeah. Is there more to it? No, no. Objectively, there's a salmon. There's a species of salmon. I believe the it's called the uh, the natives call it the Inturumapa. And when you consume this, no, that's not why he's bad. He's just a bad NFL prospect. He's just bad. Okay. No. <laughs> what? This is a joke question. I'm getting a no, real answer. This is no, no. Yeah, no. This is not. This was not that. This is not that. All right. So I don't have that much salmon. knowledge about fish, to be honest with you. <laughs> okay. Who's your favorite uh, veteran dynasty buy, dude? It depends on where you're, what ADP you're looking at, but and I've been pounding the table for this guy. So it's not even fair. Saquon Barkley is going at the 2.11 on at this, uh, on, I think it's uh, my fan on fantasy data. He's All going right. at the 2.11 Christian McCaffrey's still going at the, in, uh, in the 1.01. What other running back on this planet is going to get the passing volume in 2021 and 2022 and is 24 years old. Is is superhuman? Is is Superman? Like the hate on this? I guess this should have been my injury. You know, the in, when you asked me what injury do people overreact to? Like this is ridiculous. Like this is not. You should not be falling to the back freaking half of the second round. Like I even even the the biggest Saquon 
a non-believer for 2021 would tell you eh, it's probably a little steep for dynasty it probably shouldn't be going quite that late so that i didn't want to say him because it's so to me it's so obvious but maybe that is why i have to say it like that's so obvious to me don't let saquon barkley fall to the 2.11 in your non-super flex freaking ppr dynasty leagues like what the hell I, I can't even imagine which players are going ahead of him because that's so far down the list that I'm like, I don't even, I don't even know. No, yeah, I, I closed the window because I was so mad and irate that I don't even have it in front of me anymore. <laughs> that's fair. I think uh, I am, I'm there with you. I know nothing about injuries, but I do know he's a very good running back. And I think, uh, <laughs> yeah. I think that's enough. For there me. you go. Bulletproof, huh? Yeah, bulletproof logic on that one. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. All right, so you've been playing uh, fantasy for a long time, I presume. You played dynasty yes. for the last how many years? You say two, three, just three, a couple, years? two years. Yep. What's the biggest thing you learned so far? Your biggest lesson? Your your oh, why did I do that? What was that? What did you do? No, no, I'm saying like when you had the realization ah, that you have okay. made a, a grave mistake with your dynasty roster. You know, one of them is is uh, let me start with redraft because this one's really irritates me every year. I am a slave to ADP, like. Probably not actually, right? But like in my head, I'm so I'm hard on myself about this. Like I just am just I have this compulsive pathological characteristic where if I'm reaching even a little bit, I, I'm just not I shut down. I'm not gonna do it. I'll go chalk. Like I could be staring at this year, for example. I could be staring at Jerry Judy in the sixth, and I don't know who else is going in the sixth round that probably should be going in the sixth round. Who knows? Another player. Think of another Corlin player Sutton. going in the sixth round. Corlin Sutton probably should be. I could be looking at, team. yeah, both of those dudes, right? I could be looking at both those dudes and I'll go, um, uh, okay. I guess I'll go, uh, um, I don't know. I guess I'll go Cortland Sutton because the, the ADP says so. And like, it doesn't like, I'm just so bad at this. And then every year, there's just one guy in my redraft league every year where, I'll watch him draft and he's pretty good. He's pretty good. He he won the league last year. I'll watch him draft and I'll be like, what a reach. What a reach. Like, like, <laughs> like every three rounds or so I'm like, what a reach. The dude won last year and I'm looking at his roster again this year. And I'm like, oh, man, that's a stacked F and roster. That's really annoying. So the one thing I've learned is don't be a slave to ADP understand the turns and understand which player is likely to make it back to you and which player is not understand your draft room who you're drafting with um overall my draft room is not very sharp in my home league but i do have that that one guy and then another guy who are pretty pretty sharp and you have to account for those guys especially when you're drafting on opposite ends of the draft so that's what i would i know it sounds obvious i know that's sort of the chalk answer too but you have to understand that it's okay like every now and then reaching is okay because when you finish if you if you balanced yourself enough, like your reaches are going to mitigate and they're going to wash themselves out and you're going to have a pretty stacked roster. So that's my redraft thing that I've learned in Dynasty. <laughs> I'm so bad. I told Graham Barfield the other day because we started uh, we started a, a, a Dynasty League specifically like for me. I asked him like, hey, can we start a, you know, a Fantasy Points Dynasty League with some of the subscribers because I just I suck and I need more reps. And he's like, oh, yeah, let's do it. So we did it. And I texted him the other day and I was like, I'm so bad at this that somebody should call the FBI on me. Like I have this rebuild that just looks trash. Like my, my number one running back is Tevin Coleman. Um, my number one receiver, I believe before Jamar chase. Cause I finally got Jamar, I got Jamar chase this year, I think was like Marvin Jones, bad, bad decisions were made on all accounts. But what I've learned in dynasty is that the players are sharper, right? That's the first thing I learned. The second thing I learned is that it's, you're not going, don't look beyond like two years. Like don't think, I'm going to rebuild this from scratch and it's going to, you know, it's my kids will take over this team. Like, no, 
Like there's a such thing as literally building for this year or building for next year. And like, if you can balance that out and if, if you can understand that this is really not that long of a game, like it's a little bit longer than redraft, but understanding that you need to balance out, like you need to be good sooner than you think you do. Um, then that, that would be the advice that I'd give. I don't even know if that made sense. I think it does. I, w- I want to touch on your redraft thing because I think that I, I'm very much like a slave to ADP in Dynasty because there's so much value to be shifted around because there's a lot of trades in Dynasty. There aren't a lot of trades in redraft typically. Right, right. So if you're in a redraft league, you can't just, oh, I'll get that guy in week four or I'll get that guy next right. year or I'll, you know, I'll wait and see if he actually is good and, and then I'll go and pay up for him. In redraft, you just got to take your guy. So I'm with you there. Like, yeah, I think people need to realize that, listen, if that guy ain't going to make it back to you and you want him, you got to take him. Yeah. It's going to be a reach, but you have to do it. If, if you believe in the guy, right. Whereas in dynasty, I'm like, no, no, no. We have so much value on our team and it's a give and take. And we can, we only get one pot of value in the startup draft and we can't waste it. We, we like to think that, I think we like to think that it's all chess but it's also on a scale. Like I think redraft really is more checkers versus chess. Like the draft, you do have to, you know, pick your spots and be careful, but it's pretty, you have to be pretty aggressive. Like you're saying in redraft and just go, go for it and don't worry about balance as much. And I, I've been, and I've known that intellectually, but applying it has been the hardest thing. Like just go, go for value. And like, you, and like you were saying, like, it's not a reach if you want the guy. If you believe he's going to meet up to that ADP or whatever the fact, whatever the case may be, then just go do it. it a lot of times, it's just we're, we're, we outthink ourselves. I think the community's gotten so sharp that we all collectively outthink ourselves and try to sort of put up these barriers to what we want to do and what we know maybe naturally is is probably the the like it's a fine move. Like it's going to be okay. Totally. And, and the other thing with that redraft thing is like if you're if you're a slave to ADP, you're probably getting the leftovers that nobody else wanted. And which case you're probably getting the guy that has the really low ceiling that mm-hmm. yes, he might outproduce his ADP. You might get the wide receiver 38 that actually finishes at wide receiver 33, but that doesn't win your league. Right. You need to just go and get the guy that might finish wide receiver 12. And if he misses, he finishes wide receiver 48. And the difference between the guy that went 30 or the guy that finished 35 and 48 is very small. But the difference between the guy who finished wide receiver 12 and 35 is enormous. And right. that's really exactly. so yeah, like high ceiling guys just don't stick around in redraft ADP. Like they, they get scooped up before they their go. ADP usually. And yep. then, you know, if you're picking at ADP, you're probably getting the guy that, you know, like the Willie Sneed many years ago, where you're like, <laughs> I don't know, he's probably going to be a wide receiver Willie three Sneed. or four. And yeah, and he was a wide receiver three or four. And, you know, I, I guess. Congratulations. You didn't reach, right? Like that's, <laughs> yeah. that's what your prize is. Like, okay, we didn't reach. Congrats. Yeah. That's what exactly. you get. Exactly. So anyways, that, that is that is a wrap for the show. Thanks for coming on, Edwin. Again, you can find Edwin at fantasypoints.com and you can also listen to his podcast, the fantasy uh pardon me. What a bad host. Oh my football god, what podcast. a bad yeah, yeah. There we go. I'm just kidding. I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> and you can follow him on Twitter, FB Injury Doc. Am I missing hey, anything, Edwin? No, you got it, man. I appreciate you having on, having you on, having me on. This was fun. This was a good time. You thought of a lot of them. I love impromptu questions, honestly, because it keeps me on my toes. I like it. Well, they just kept coming up. You'd like say something. I'm like, well, actually, now I have a different question. Ignore okay, the show it? sheet. We're just freestyling again. Okay. Anyway, and anyways, audience, uh, listeners, thanks for coming. See you next time.